Good morning, everyone. My name is Kevin Lagore, and welcome to another episode of the What's Up webcast. We do this every Friday, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here at the Skywatcher USA YouTube channel. Um, if you've never joined us before, thanks for joining us and spending your Friday morning uh, hanging out. And if you've been with us before, welcome back. Happy Friday. I hope your week's been good. Uh, it's April. I'm not exactly sure when that happened, as I'm sure many of you are in the same boat. It, time just flies by. Um, but yeah, it's April. So that means we are checking out what's up in the nighttime sky for the month of April. Obviously last week, um, normally we do this at the first week of the month, but last week we had to do a fun little episode about for, um, April Fools and fun things like that. So if you missed that episode, you can go back and check that out. We just looked at some funny things in astronomy. So thanks for uh, watching those. Um, all the episodes for the What's Up webcast are recorded. So they are live at the time of recording, but if you ever miss it or you want to go back and see something, you can go back and check it out um, on our YouTube channel. All the episodes are there. So feel free to go back if there's a topic you want to check out. If you want to know more about the What's Up webcast and be in tune with what's going on, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Um, it really does help us out and uh, here at Skywatcher. And then if there's an episode you'd like us to do, maybe there's a topic that um, you wanted us to check out, you can email us at what's, uh, I'm sorry, support at skywatcherusa.com and title it What's Up uh, webcast and then We'll know that's for the webcast and we'll be happy to take a look at your ideas or what have you so we've had a couple people write in and we definitely appreciate everyone's input on on this so uh, thank you very much and of course you know if if you like it your skywatcher stuff enough we do have a uh, web store that's got all kinds of swag and shirts and stuff like that we are looking at adding more um, we've been talking about a couple different designs and uh, what have you so uh, keep an eye out on that um, we'll be probably adding more designs in the not-so-distant future um, but yeah you can get a Skywatcher shirt to match your Skywatcher gear and we appreciate you flying the colors for Skywatcher so thanks uh, very much for that you can go check that out um, whenever you feel like it so anyway like I said it's April and with that, we're going to be checking out what's up in the nighttime sky for the month of April. And there's a lot of cool stuff up there. Uh, we are in a transition period right now. We are officially in spring here in the Northern Hemisphere, and that brings a lot of new objects up to view. So let's take a look at that. And of course, we're going to start with the brightest thing in the nighttime sky, the moon. And it just so happens that new moon is this weekend April 12th is when new moon is and of course the dark weekend or sorry new moons on Monday um, but that means that this weekend tonight tomorrow and Sunday night are the darkest weekend of the month and I'm sure if you're already planning to go somewhere you're either there or you've already got your stuff ready to go or you've got some plans to get out and start observing and taking advantage of those dark skies somewhere hopefully near you or you just hanging out in the backyard enjoying the spring all those flowers blooming and allergies and all those other cool things that come along with spring so um 
Full moon for the month is April 27th, so at the end of the month. And uh, that's kind of what we're looking at for the moon. So hopefully you've got some time. You're going out this weekend. Get your equipment out because it's galaxy season. It is time to go observe those faint little things, which means you're bringing out the big guns or just long exposures with a smaller telescope or the big guns. Um, but yeah, it's galaxy season. So it is time to take advantage of that new moon dark sky time. So good luck. Now let's talk about the full moon for the month. Now the full moon is April 27th. And it is known as the pink moon, as the name for the month, uh, this full moon. Now, if you're not familiar with it, you can go to Farmer's Almanac. They have all the names and all the folklore behind all the full moons throughout the year. Every month has its own full moon, each has its own name, and the folklore that goes along with that. So check it out, learn something. Um, it might be something that you know is fun to do especially if you do outreach it's kind of a fun thing to share with people so um it gets its name the pink moon after the wildflowers that tend to bloom in north america this time of year one of the more um one of those particular ones is called uh, i believe it's called creeping fox flocks uh, i'm an astronomer not an english major um so uh, that's a pink wildflower that tends to bloom this time of year, and um, thus the name the pink moon, along with all the other colors of wildflowers that you've probably seen and had the allergies and the runny nose and the headache. Anyway, uh, springtime. So that's where the pink moon gets its name. Now, on top of that, it's a super moon. Yay! So I'm sure you'll be hearing all about this on social media and news outlets and all kinds of other things because it's a super moon. So what does that actually mean? Um, it means it's roughly 7% larger than an average full moon and about 15% brighter. So it's fun to show your friends. It gets people interested in astronomy and start looking up at the sky. So it's cool. I'm sure most of us astronomers are like, hey, it's a bigger moon, huzzah. But it's still cool. It gets people out and looking, so you have to kind of appreciate that. But yes, we have a super moon. So it is a super pink moon, and it will not be pink. So please don't go outside and expect the moon to be pink. I don't want emails saying how disappointed you were about why it wasn't pink. And if you are an amateur astronomer and you want to show your friends, maybe just throw a light red filter in there to make it pink. There you go. So now this is the first supermoon of 2021. I believe we also have one in May. So next month we'll also be talking about another supermoon. There's only two of them this year, um, but this is the first supermoon of the year. So ta-da, we've got a big bright full moon at the end of the month. Um, so should be should be good there. Now planets. It's pretty sparse right now if you haven't been out looking at the sky lately. A lot of the planets are in the early morning right now. And I have some friends that are really into planets. They're early morning risers. They love to go out and image the planets. Good for you. I am not one of them. So um, check out the planets. Uh, the only one that's actually up right now is Mars. And Mars is rather small. I was out looking last night, just naked eye. 
and it is quite dim uh, in comparison to what it was back in fall of 2020 when it was at its close approach. Um, it looks a lot like a star and not a pronounced star either. It's still got the orange tint in there, but it's, it is moving quite a bit away from us right now and it's getting smaller and smaller. So if you're trying to view Mars right now, um, it's about 45 degrees up in the evening. Um, just after sunset, I'll bring up our trusty Stellarium. Uh, Stellarium's a free app that you can get online. Um, so uh, this is just something we use. You can go ahead and check it out online. It's a free download. It does control telescopes. I've never done it. Um, I'll have to try that out, but apparently you can control our telescopes with it. I just, again, haven't tried it yet. So, um, so do about half a dozen other softwares. Uh, but yeah, Mars is right up here. It's in the uh, horns of Taurus the bull. Um, please don't go outside and look for the constellation lines. If you're watching this, they don't exist. So it looks like that. So I've had plenty of people at outreach events ask, where are the lines? They're not there. So um, we're in the horns of Taurus right now for Mars. Mars is, again, it's moving away from us right now, so it's not really in its optimal viewing time. And it's only about 45 degrees up um, right now, so it's still relatively high in the western sky after sunset, but we're only going to have it till about midnight. It sets right before midnight right now in um, the northern hemisphere. And again, it is moving away from us too. So if you're out observing with your telescope and you wanna show someone Mars, you can show it to them. You could probably get a little sphere look out of it. Maybe a bigger telescope with higher magnification, you'll be able to show some detail in there, but it's gonna be limited because it's just not in a good position anymore to really get the best view. And it won't be until later uh, next year. So we're at the end of the season for Mars right now. So. You can still see it. It's the only planet up that's uh, visible right now in the evening. Everything else is up in the uh, early morning right now. So if you want to go check out what's going on um, and you're into planets, you better be waking up early because that's what all Jupiter, Saturn, Venus. I have a, well, we got this big fancy computer. Let's just go ahead and take a look at it. There we go. 5 a.m. Um, so yeah, 5 a.m. right now, we have Saturn, and Jupiter's hanging out over there, not far from Saturn. Uh, Saturn is in Capricornus, and Jupiter right now is in, it's in Capricorn as well. Um, so those two are hanging out up there. Um, I think Venus, Neptune's already coming up in the morning. It's pretty low, so uh, Mercury's hanging out by the sun right now. So yeah, if you're looking for planets right now, you want to be up in the morning um, hours right now, so early, um, if you want to do that. So check that out. So uh, we'll get back to Stellarium in a little bit. So yeah, that's it for Mars, the only evening time planet right now up currently. So now the sun. The sun is a fun object to look at. I talk about it every month, but the sun is really dynamic and we are, it is ramping up into its, um, it's got an 11 year cycle and we are starting to ramp up 
into solar maximum we're not in it yet it's still rather quiet but there's been some really cool phenomenon up there lately um let me just bring this up right now this is what i use when i'm planning to do solar observing um this is the website up here but just talk uh, if you're going to google just type in gong g-o-n-g h-alpha and the gong website will pop right up or you can just save the link up here um, this is all the current views in hydrogen alpha from several telescopes across the world that shows you the current um, state of the sun in H alpha, which is probably the most exciting filter for amateur astronomers to use. If you don't know that much about the sun or H alpha filters, we did two episodes, a couple episodes on the sun last October, October 2020. We did some episodes, a whole series on the sun and the filters to use for it. Um, you can go back and check that uh, those things out in those episodes. But um, there has been some big prominences on the sun the last couple weekends. I think there was a big one. Um, I don't have any of my stuff set up at the moment for the sun. I probably should because there is some stuff going on. Um, we have a filament right here. There's a bunch of little prominences. There's a nice bright one up here. And then, of course, at the bottom, there's another one. No sunspots. There's a little active region uh, right here. So if you are looking to do some uh, observing of the sun in H-alpha, um, so we'll just backtrack. If you're looking to do some observing of the sun right now, your white light filter probably isn't going to show you a whole lot. There's no sunspots at the moment. Um, H-alpha, if you've got something laying around, it's probably time to dust off that you know Coronado PST or a Lunt scope or day stars or whatever you've got floating around. Maybe bust it out this weekend. There's some cool detail. There's a filament. Um, and some good detail uh, for prominences floating out there. But the sun changes every day. So that's what's really cool about it in comparison to other objects in the sky is you can always get something cool day to day. So just because there might not be a whole ton of stuff to go view on it right now doesn't mean that's going to stay that way. So the sun is very dynamic. Uh, very fluid object so um, I do have uh, friends of mine that go out they observe it every day they sketch it um, all kinds of things that you can do with the Sun but if you've got some solar equipment over the next couple years it's gonna get more and more interesting um, particularly with hydrogen alpha and so it is something to definitely keep an eye on um, and gives you something cool to do but yeah if you want to keep up with this just type in gong g-o-n-g H alpha into Google and that'll take you to this website and you can see what's going up on the Sun from these various observatories then you can kind of figure out if it's worth dragging out the big hardware or going out at all um, this is generally what I use to see if it's worth bringing out all the solar equipment to, to check that stuff out so that's kind of cool um, right there so again just to recap on the Sun um, there is some good prominences right now today, particularly that looks like there's a nice uh, dusting of prominences around the edge. That's kind of cool if you've got some uh, H-alpha filters to, ch uh, to pull out, check out, you want something to do. Um, no sunspots, but that could definitely change. Um, so just keep an eye on that. And try sketching. Um, sketching is something I haven't really done, but I have several friends who have done sketching. And sketching is kind of cool because you can actually, it really helps fine tune your eye. 
because you're you're sitting there and you're looking for particular details it's not just a oh wow that's cool and then done um it kind of trains you to take it in astronomy is not a race so just take it in enjoy the detail that's there um, but there's a bunch of cool things that you can actually get out um, from sketching as well so check a look at sketching if you need something to do or maybe you want a different project for astronomy or something like that so just an idea um, meteor showers now last month we had nothing last month was a clean slate of a whole lot of nothing well this month is not that case so this month we had the lyrid meteor shower um, this is visible April 21st to the 22nd is the peak this is a good one um, about 20 meteors per hour it's generally most meteor showers are best viewed after midnight um, as the earth comes around um, how it works with how it spins and everything like that um, all meteor showers are best viewed after midnight now this one's a little difficult because we do have a nearly full moon i think it's like 97 percent or something like that illuminated but it does start to set around 2 a.m roughly so if you can get out there in the early early morning um after 2 a.m uh, you might be treated to some really cool stuff uh, i understand the lyric meteor shower when you do see some of the bright ones they tend to leave a long tail or streak in the sky for a little while so that's kind of a cool a thing particularly about the lyric meteor showers and if you're not really sure where to look um let's bring this up real quick and There we go sorry got the dates mixed up there we go 21st and there we go 2 a.m so the lyrid meteor shower comes out of the constellation of lyra the harp that's generally a summertime object lyra the harp can be seen rising in the east northeast um right around 1 30 but it it comes off of the constellation so it comes out so just because the constellation's not up doesn't mean they can't be visible for the evening but they will generally be coming out of the east um just so you know where to go look if you are going to drag the family out there and try to go look for it um just know that you will have this big bright moon setting over in the west but generally about right about two o'clock that moon's going to disappear giving you a really nice sky to work with just in time for Lyra the constellation to actually rise above the eastern horizon and then you'll as you get closer to morning you'll be treated to a better show but it's best from dark skies you could probably catch some cool stuff from the uh evening evening hours but it's best viewed um from dark skies after about midnight best after two o'clock so that is the lyrid meteor shower Go ahead and check that out towards the end of this month. That's the only major meteor shower this month, but this is actually one of the better ones uh, this time of year. So uh, go check it out. Now, uh, this isn't a topic that we've, we've just kind of recently added because people have asked me to do it, and that, of course, is comets. Now, uh, I did look up some stuff, and there's always comets visible. Um, but in this case, there's nothing that's totally easy to see, but there is one that's in telescopic view or at least binocular view. So I use cometchasing.skyhound.com. Um, oh, was that, is that what's going on here? 
I, oh, that's right. Sorry about that. I was in the wrong month for the Lyric Meteor Shower. Someone pointed that out in the chat that I was in the wrong month. So sorry about that. Um, let me just go back to the Meteor Showers really quick. So we got four, April, and East. Okay, there we go. So there's the Lyric Meteor Shower. Um, let's backtrack real quick just so we're not uh, covering everything here. So still, um, right around 2 o'clock for the Lyric Meteor Shower. Um, let's go back 2 o'clock. 2 o'clock, it's about done. Um, Lyra is actually going to be much higher right now. And there's the Lyric Meteor Shower. It kind of originates right between Hercules and Lyra, but it is technically in the constellation of Lyra the Harp is where those are originally coming from. So thanks for pointing that out, that the date was wrong on Stellarium. Um, so Lyra will be much higher uh, in the sky. Um, so please ignore everything I just said about its positioning. It'll be much higher in the sky. You're looking at about 60 degrees up, not quite straight up, but fairly high in the eastern sky. Um, you can best find it by finding the bright star Vega. So there you go. So thanks for pointing that out. Now, comets. Um, we get a lot of people that ask for comets. There are a couple comets, of course, that are visible. Most of them are pretty much done with larger telescopes, six inch and bigger. Um, there is one right now visible here in the Northern Hemisphere, C2020R4 Atlas. Um, right now it's saying it's in the constellation of Aquila. Uh, magnitude is about nine, which means most telescopes can technically get it. Um, Magnitudes with comets can be a little bit tough because comets can be relatively diffuse. So if you don't know what you're looking for, it you might browse over that or pass over that. Um, here's the finder chart just in case you want to see where it's going to be going. All this is available at cometchasing.skyhound.com. Uh, these are all printable uh, maps as well, and they're of course star chart style so the background is white and all the uh, constellations and stuff are black which makes it really easy to see under a red light in the field so this is the positioning um, for the comet right now it's sitting over in the constellation aquila it's going to make its way over through hercules and by the end of the month it'll be in buddhas um so it's 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 moving up there but that one would probably be a cool one to check out if you're in a dark sky this weekend, maybe throw a telescope on it. I'm not sure how big it is, but it might be something cool to see. Um, so that would be the one I would check out. Um, there are some other ones up there. Uh, we have C2019 L3 Atlas. Um, this one, 11th, almost 12th magnitude. So yeah, eight to 10 inch or bigger uh, telescope. Let's see, it's comet charts real quick. Uh, this is in Perseus. One might be kind of tough you'd have to hit this kind of in the early evening maybe you could get it in the morning when it ropes back around um, depending on your positioning so that's something you could check out as well um, that one's gonna be kind of in a weird position for conveniently trying to hit it you'd probably have to hit it in the early evening actually let's just bring up the charts real quick so so Let's put it about 8.30, and that comet is currently sitting at, yeah, so it's going to be really low down here in the northwest. If you've got a good dark sky that's got a good northwestern horizon, you could probably catch that comet, but um, other than that, 
Depending on your location. No, so you won't be able to catch this in the morning. It has to be done in the evening. Um, right after sunset as it gets dark. So yeah, C2019 L3 Atlas is gonna be an evening time comet, probably in an eight or 10 inch telescope and a site that's got a good northwestern horizon for you to catch that one. Um, this one, the uh, 2020R4 would be much easier to get. Uh, R4 is gonna be moving in the early, late evening, actually. Um, yeah, so that comet is really well placed. You can probably start to catch it um, like 10 o'clock. It's gonna be going through this area. So, and moving through here by the end of the month, it'll be way up in here. So this is actually a good one to try um, if you're going to a dark sky this weekend because it'll be really high about midnight so try to give that one a shot it'd be interesting to see um, what you could find on that one particularly if you have a bigger telescope um, you know eight ten or bigger you'll probably be able to uh, hunt that one down pretty easy um, the rest of them at this point you've got c2020 t2 palomar um, again this one's saying eight inch this is about 12.7 magnitude and this one's up in Buddha, so you could catch this one this evening, um, particularly after midnight when it's nice and high, which is good because you are gonna wanna be able to get some magnification on this one. They're saying this one is only, it's pretty small, 1.5 arc minute coma. So you could give this one a shot as well. Um, darker skies will help with this one too, or the cameras. Cameras are good on all of these, so give that one a shot. Um, but this one is well placed for later in the evening as well. So um, at that point, we kind of lose all of the north. There's probably some, yeah, everything other down here is southern hemisphere. So our, our buddies down in Australia, you've got some cool ones in there. Um, I know there's some people here that are watching from there. So um, looks like there's one in Aquarius. It's about 10th, almost 11th magnitude, 10P Temple, um, and so on and so forth. There's some good stuff in here. Um, but if you want to check this out, go to cometchasing.skyhound.com. It's free. All the charts are free. You can print all that up. So that is a great uh, collection of information for those looking to hunt down some um, uh, some comets. So that's what is visible this month, roughly, for that. Now, deep sky. We could do a whole episode on deep sky targets, particularly this time of year. Um, it's galaxy season. There are thousands of galaxies up right now. And the reason for that is it all has to do with the positioning of where Earth sits in its orbit. So in the winter time, and we're just gonna make this new moon. There we go. So the winter time, there's a setting. I'm gonna have to figure out how to do this. I think there's a way to set the site. Someone else probably knows how to do this really quickly. I've done it once before. There's a way to actually adjust how dark the sky is. And I don't remember how to do that. And I'm not gonna try to sit here forever to figure it out. remember so I'll have to mess with that but um, 
In the winter time, we're actually looking out into the winter Milky Way, out where Orion is, Gemini, all that fun stuff, Canis Major, all the wintertime objects kind of sit out in the outer arms of the Milky Way galaxy, where we're looking away from the core. So we're still looking down the plane of the galaxy at that point. So when you have all these uh, people saying, oh, it's not Milky Way season. Yes, it is Milky Way season. It just happens to be winter Milky Way season during the winter. Now, as time goes on, however, that sets. So the winter Milky Way sets. Now, over here in the east, you can see we have Lyra and Tops of Scorpio and Ophiuchus. All those summertime objects are just below the eastern horizon, but they're not up yet, not until later in the evening. So we're just out here in this vast black area of space. We're not looking along the, the plane of the galaxy anymore. We're looking out to extremely deep space um, at that point. And what's out there is galaxies. So... In that particular area, you've got uh, Leo, Leo Minor, Coma Berenices, Canis Menactices, uh, Ursa Major, um, and of course, of course, Virgo. Um, all those are littered with galaxies. Thousands and thousands of galaxies sit out here. Um, the Virgo Cluster, um, Coma Bear, the Coma Cluster of galaxies. There is all kinds of stuff to look out there and there's a lot of really cool galaxies out there too not all galaxies which we'll talk about here uh, shortly but um, if you've got a big telescope or access to a big telescope and dark skies this is really the time of year to break that out because you're going hunting for galaxies at this point faint distant targets and if you're an imager galaxies small faint distant objects so uh, this is where you're going to want to have stuff that's generally longer focal length if you're an imager or that smaller image scale uh, for galaxies i think 700 or bigger or longer is really nice to have because you get the image scale on depending on the galaxy but most of the galaxies visible this time of year are small you know they're not this heaping thing like andromeda um, except for a handful of them that are fairly good size but let's just take a look at some of them right now so the first one and the most obvious one is actually a two-for-one deal, M81 and M82. These are up in Ursa Major. I'm sure many of us are familiar with these galaxies. Um, these are great if you're just getting started. You can actually see these in a four-inch telescope from a moderate backyard. Um, you know, in a light blue location, you can see the little gray detail of M81 and M82 over here. The cigar galaxy looks like this little irregular looking thing. Um, but you can see those generally in like a four inch or smaller telescope. Bigger telescopes are obviously give a nice view. But even from home, you can actually observe some galaxies. Um, they're about 12 million light years away. So they're kind of cool to show your friends and family because they're far off. Uh, but if you get to a dark sky site, particularly if you get some big telescopes, like 14, 15, 16 inch or bigger, Things look awesome. Um, M81 looks like M81, like the spiral arms and everything from a dark sky and like a 16-inch telescope. It's impressive. Um, this outer detail in M82, this dark area, that's very difficult to see in a telescope visually. Um, the human eye is not super sensitive to red, uh, so in a dark sky environment, you might need some serious aperture. We're talking 20-plus 
inch telescopes at that point to maybe see that, but it, it would be, don't plan on it. Um, but the, the structures and details in M81 look great in telescopes about 14 inch and bigger, even a 12 inch um, from dark sky sites. Um, for imagers, this is a great area to image because there's so much going on and it really depends on what you're looking to do. From home, you can get a really nice image um, from light polluted locations of M81 and M82 and some of the background galaxies that are floating out in this area. If you're in a darker sky and you're a little bit more experienced or you really want to push it, you also have this integrated flux nebula, all this faint detail that floats around in there. That's all nebulosity and dust just floating around that particular area. That comes out in dark skies and long exposures. So if you're heading to a dark sky site and you want to take a, a little bit more deep image of these two, expect to see some of this uh, in your images, especially with those modern day cameras. Um, and then a helpful tip, if you want to bring out the detail in M82 right here, that reddish, put some H-alpha filter in the, in the path and just image a little bit uh, in the H-alpha channel and blend that into your red uh, channel. It'll help pop that out a little bit more. There's not much HA, there is some HA uh, regions in M81, um, but this whole area down here with M82 has some really good signal in H alpha. So just a helpful tip if you want to bring that out. Um, I would do that last after you've already done a really good luminance channel or a nice deep set of color data. Um, and then you want to add that later, go add a little dusting of that later. So that's a cool set of targets. Visually, this flux nebula is almost impossible to see. Um, I have talked to some very experienced deep sky very hardcore deep sky observers that have seen some of the brighter areas here. Um, but it really takes a dark sky, well-adapted eyes, and very careful viewing of, you're just looking for the slight offset of the background. Um, moving your telescope can also help that a little bit so your eye can see what moves with the field and what doesn't. So um, if you're trying to get that flux nebula visually, good luck. <clears throat> now, one of the larger galaxies this time of year, oh, real quick, just in case anybody doesn't know what this is at, um, we have this handy dandy star chart. Um, M81, M82 are floating up here just off of Ursa Major. They're technically in the constellation, but they're right up here. Now there's M82. Um, so you're gonna find the Big Dipper. You can take, uh, you have the two stars, you have Thad and Dube. I'm sorry. Uh, and you can actually almost draw a line to those roughly right, a too long way right across and right to those. Or you just use a go-to telescope if you don't know where they're at. But I do encourage star hopping. I feel it does a lot better for you understanding where objects are in the sky. But these are fairly easy to find um, roughly right over here just off the bowl of the Big Dipper. So good luck to you on that. Next target. Um, M101, the pinwheel galaxy, uh, this was taken by our friend Richard Wright, and I meant to give him credit on this, but he just got verbal credit. This is his picture. Um, again, in Ursa Major, this is one of the larger galaxies, but it's faint. Um, while it is big, 
the core is visible, but a lot of the outer arm detail here is low surface brightness. So it doesn't just pop out like M81 and M82. Those have a kind of a high condensed core area so they can be brighter and easier to see, especially in light polluted locations. M101 is a little bit more diffuse as you spread out away from the core. Um, darker skies definitely help. Um, if you have like an eight or 10 inch telescope in a dark location, this is a very impressive galaxy. Um, actually, one of my best views of M101 was with a five inch Acromat refractor in a decent dark sky, like a green zone. It wasn't even crazy dark, but you just want that contrast to pop the galaxy out from the background. So having a good Northeast uh, horizon, um, or dark area of the sky in the northeast will definitely help pop that out right now but that's a great target to see visually it gets more impressive the bigger the aperture of the telescope and what's cool about m101 visually is there's all these knots of detail that sit in the outer arms so it's kind of a you should treat this as an object with multiple targets around it take your time really observe some of those little star regions that are in the galaxy so it's a very cool very complex based on spiral galaxy. And that of course is also in uh, Ursa Major. This one's a little easier to find. Um, take Mizar and Alcade, and it almost forms a 90 degree triangle um, right from those stars right there. So again, uh, Mizar, Alcade, both of those are naked eye stars. You should be e easily be able to find them. And almost about halfway up, almost forming a 90 degree triangle. Um, is where M101 is. So it's not a difficult one to find in a decent, somewhat decent sky. Um, dark skies, you could probably catch it in a 50 millimeter finder. Um, and then obviously bigger telescopes are much more helpful uh, to catch a lot of that as well. So that's where M101 is. Now, if you're imaging Again, 700 millimeters is probably good. Longer focal length to help get that image scale. Um, this was taken with an Esprit 150 and a ZWO 6200 full frame camera. Um, so you can see how well that actually frames up on a full frame chip at 1,000 millimeters. So if you're using like 800 millimeter or 1,000 millimeter focal length with like an APS-C size sensor, it's gonna frame that up really well. One thing you want to pay attention though is this little fuzzy down here. This is technically part of it. Um, this is a outer part of the outer loops of the arms. So, you know, it has these really extended arms out there and there's some regions out there that do extend out. So when you're framing it, go a little bit wider than you uh, think it, you might need it. But this is a great object to see visually. Um, there are several star forming regions. Uh, those are generally known as H2 regions. They're visible in H alpha um, if you're imaging with a filter. Um, this has a fair amount of H2 star forming regions in that galaxy. So um, if you're gonna follow up with your luminance channels or you're doing color, maybe add a little bit of that H alpha data in there and pop some of those H2 regions out. They'll, they'll, you can actually see them in here because um, Richard did do some a nice HA data, but you can see these little pink um, areas. Those are all star forming regions, um, hydrogen regions in there where stars are being made. Um, those will be active in H alpha uh, wavelengths. So 
or a little bit of H-alpha data in this galaxy as well if you're going to be imaging it. Um, jumping off a little bit further, um, I found out about this galaxy a little while ago, and I think it's really cool because it's got some really interesting dynamics to it, but it's definitely one of those that you don't see all that often. Um, it definitely gets overshadowed by some of the brighter, more popular stuff like NGC 4565, M87, a bunch of other stuff in the Coma Cluster and the Virgo regions um, in the sky. But this is NGC 4762, or the Kite Galaxy, or Paper Kite Galaxy, as some know it as. Um, this is a constellation of Virgo. This is visible in dark skies, about a 6-inch telescope or larger. It is a very thin edge-on galaxy, um, super thin. But if you're imaging with it, it's got some interesting details in it. Um, and you probably want to process it carefully. So let me just blow the shot up here real quick so you can see a little bit more. Um, this right here in the center is NGC 4762 the paper kite galaxy. Now we are in Virgo, so there's a bunch of other galaxies. Uh, there's one there, there's one there, there's one there. Uh, there's one all over the frame are galaxies. Um, but this particular galaxy is really neat because it has some uh, uh, tidal streams on it. And what I mean by tidal streams are these faint little wings almost that are on this galaxy. And what tidal streams are is generally a galaxy has to um, absorb or disrupt a nearby galaxy or a large star cluster or something of that nature. Most of the time it's a galaxy that it's disrupted where the stars actually stretch far out from the major point of the galaxy. And that's affected by tidal uh, forces from gravity. And this one's got a really unique like double hook almost like yin-yang kind of thing going on with it. So you got the lower hook and the upper hook um, tandemed with this really elegant, very thin edge-on look to it. So this is a really cool galaxy to see up in Virgo. Um, let me find it for you really quick. NGC 4762, go. Um, so this is where NGC 4762 is. It's up in the part of Virgo there so almost in the Coma Berenices constellation but this is a very cool um, galaxy to see it's got some really cool detail in there if you have access to like a 20 plus inch telescope in a dark sky site it would be interesting to really see how much of those tidal streams that you could actually pick up um, with that so very cool galaxy, a little bit off the beaten path from the rest of the popular ones that are up this time of year. And like I said, there are hundreds of other galaxies we could have talked about. Um, but I wanted to get into this one because it is really unique. And of course, next month is May. We're still in galaxy season. We'll probably talk about a lot of the other uh, popular stuff as well. But this is a cool one to check out, FYI. Now, it is galaxy season, but that doesn't mean everything is a galaxy. Now, it is few and far between to shoot nebulas right now, but if you're looking for a little bit of color, maybe you want a narrow band target, um, these next couple are just some options. Uh, this is Abel 35. Um, I just started a project, personally, a uh, project um, through my outreach program. I'll just bring this up real quick. Um, 
and it is a planetary survey project and the goal of the planet the planetary survey is to actually image and photograph all the northern hemisphere planetaries so um, you can go up and check this out and it talks a little bit about what's going on there um, but I want to do this as something there's a couple planetaries up right now that you can go check out and you can read all about that there but um, generally the springtime is talked about being galaxy season which it is highly dominated um, by galaxies but there are a couple nebulas in there one of them is Abel 35 um, Abel 35 is visible from dark sky sites about a 10 inch telescope I'd probably recommend an O3 or UHC filter to bring that out you could try from home but it's fairly faint um, it is strong in H alpha and O3 so if you are imaging from home you do have the advantage of offering uh, or bringing in some narrow band so maybe later this month when the moon is high and you can't really hit any galaxies, maybe try Abel 35 as an imaging target. Um, let me see if this will bring it up. I don't know how elaborate. Oh, it did bring it up. Um, so Abel 35 is technically in the constellation of Hydra, um, but it's not far from Corvus the Crow. Uh, it's hanging out right here from Kraz and uh, Y Hydra. Um, so it's right in the middle of those. So it wouldn't be too difficult to star hop to. Um, it is a little low in the south, so if you're in the further northern uh, hemisphere, um, northern U.S. into Canada, you might have less time to catch one of these. Um, so uh, definitely check that out. So strong H-alpha and O3 um, in here. So, uh, But that would be a cool one to check out. Um, another one in that particular area is Abel 36. Um, this one's kind of interesting because it's got it's a bit bigger than some other planetaries it's got these cool loops that are coming off of it this is in the constellation of virgo it's not far from abel 35 um, again dark skies 10 inch scale telescope o3 uhc pretty much any planetary in the abel class should be 8 to 10 inch telescope dark skies o3 or uhc fyi um, this also this particular shot right here is done in H alpha so you can see this is two hours been two by two on an Esprit 150 at f7 um, it is a dark sky but I'm shooting H alpha so it doesn't really matter um, at that point um, but that is a cool one to check out right now as well so um, that's actually the final target for the today's talk but that just would help if I could actually type Abel there we go so Abel 36 um, is, you know, just a hop, skip, and a jump over from Abel 35. So kind of a cool one to check out. It's kind of in this right below Spica, not too far from Y Hydra and Spica. So definitely check that out. Uh, if you're looking for some nebulas that are up this time of year, again, it's kind of few and far between. The ones that are up are extremely faint. Um, there's a very challenging target up in Leo as well. Um, haven't hit that one yet um, in my little survey project, but um, those are some cool nebulas to check out right now, Abel 35 and 36. So that pretty much wraps today's uh, episode up. I thought we were going to go a little bit long. If you have questions, now's the time to ask them. Um, if you like what we're doing here and you want to stay up with what's going on, go ahead and subscribe to our channel. 
Uh, if you have questions or topics that you'd like us to take a look at, go ahead and write into us at support at skywatcherusa.com and title it What's Up so we know it has to do with the What's Up webcast. Now, we were talking about galaxies. Galaxies tend to need longer focal length and they are rarely faint. So, next week we're going to be talking about our Quattro series. These are our F4 Imaging Newtonians. Um, we have three of them, 8, 10, and 12. And uh, we're going to be talking about those next week, um, ins and outs um, of what's going on in those telescopes, um, why there's something you should maybe take a look at if you're looking for something with some focal length, um, particularly with galaxies. Um, it's, it's got a good collection of things that might work really good for uh, galaxies in this time of year. So uh, we'll get into that next uh, week. And that's our next week's topic. And of course, you know, if you enjoy what's going on, we really appreciate you having here. Um, and again, just a shout out to it. If you want a shirt or something cool to go along, especially with the constellations that are up right now, we do have our threadless shirts and all that fun stuff like that. Um, go ahead and check out our threadless uh, site if you want to check that out, skywatcher.threadless.com for your Skywatcher swag. And I think we'll be adding some cool stuff uh, in the not too distant future on those as well. So um, actually finished this up a little bit earlier than I thought. So thank you very much for watching. Um, I don't see any questions right now. Um, so we're probably gonna wrap today up early. Uh, we will see you guys next week for the Quattro uh, episode where we take a look at our imaging Newtonians and uh, it should be good. So. Please have a safe weekend. Please be safe. Um, clear skies. Enjoy the new moon weekend. Uh, please go out and take advantage of it if it's going to be clear. And uh, we will hopefully see you guys next week. So thank you very much. Have a great weekend. And take care, guys.